The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Daniel Roth, LinkedIn's Editor-in-Chief. Welcome back to This Is Working. On every episode of This Is Working, we talk to leaders who have had a significant impact on business and society. Today, my guest is Vernay Myers, VP of Inclusion Strategy for Netflix. Vernay has dedicated her life to tackling bias in society and in the workplace. This mission has taken her from the halls of Harvard Law to several law firms, through a stint in government and into business for herself. In 2018, Netflix created a VP role specifically for her and her mission. As VP of Inclusion Strategy, and that word strategy is there on purpose, we talk about this in the talk, Renee is tasked with ensuring that equity is embedded into every aspect of Netflix's culture. You can see it if you are one of Netflix's over 200 million subscribers, or if you've ever applied for a job there. You'll hear much more about this during our conversation in this episode. Meyer's wide-ranging impact is something I think every leader should be watching. I'm so glad we got a chance to sit down together. Here's our conversation. How are you doing, Vernay? Thrilled to be here with you, Dan, and your audiences. Thank you so much. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk with us. And I just saw your inclusion report, Netflix's inclusion report, uh, very impressive numbers coming out. Uh, nearly half of the company and half of leadership is from underrepresented groups. And I'd love to start our questions just with that report. In the report, you have a line that says the neutral period is over. Would you talk a little bit about what that means? It really goes to so many well-meaning people who I've encountered throughout my time in these, these types of positions where they mean well and what they think is enough is either being a good person or they say, I don't feel that way. I am neutral about that, whatever. And what we're trying to say is if we really want to see cultural change, it is going to require a kind of proactivity, a kind of intentionality, and a kind of attention. So you cannot be neutral. If you want racism to go away, you have to be actively anti-racist, right? And that means that you have to unpack some of the systemic um, inequalities that have been around us all along, but we haven't been paying attention to or trying to solve for. And so our data shows us there's been a 91.4% increase in hiring in DEI jobs. It was one of the fastest growing job categories and has hundreds of openings right now. Does that mean that companies have realized the neutral period is over or are they thinking we need a diversity person, we put someone in here and all of our problems go away? Yeah, you know, I think it differs from company to company. I think some companies have their eyes have been opened. They realize they need expertise. They're not going to be able to do it by just doing a bunch of little cocktail parties and maybe like special, you know, food days. We celebrate our holidays. Those are all nice things, but they're never going to move uh, the work uh, along. And so I think for some companies, they are realizing that and they're putting resources behind it. I think for other companies, it's definitely still like a check the box or please let's keep those folks quiet kind of thing. And you will know the difference by how many uh, resources are put in it. So a lot of people are alone in these jobs. That's not sufficient. And I would also say that, you know, a lot of people think that this job is like this person is responsible for the work. 
which is not true. This person is important for guiding the work, helping setting the strategies, working through with the leadership, but ultimately it's the work of the entire company and it's especially the work of the leaders. Okay, so describe for us how you work then inside Netflix. What's your team like? What is day-to-day like? How do you make sure that uh, leaders from across the company hear what you have to say and understand the message? Well, you know, when I first thought about taking this job, so, you know, I was on my own for 20 plus years and I'm just like, I don't see myself working for anyone ever. But then uh, Netflix was a client. And one of the things that made me think this was possible is because I was like, well, I'm going to need a lot of people. And they were like, okay. (laughs) And so um, we now have 17 people on our team. And I think there are two things that we're trying to do. One is that we're trying to make sure that every business unit has a person who is thinking through the strategy of that of that particular um, business unit. And sometimes um, the inclusion progress so much is shaped about what industry you're in, sort of what the current status is of that particular business unit at the time. So we're trying to do that. And we're trying to also have enough people who are part of coaching those leaders as they move and work and learn new skills. Plus, we're trying to make sure that the education and the and the, and the communication is in every aspect of the company. Like, for example, it's 2021. So it's sort of like, what is our strategy? Our overarching vision is that every employee in Netflix be equipped with the consciousness of the competency the compassion and the courage necessary to transform what they do every day into an inclusive you know sort of situation and so it takes time for people to learn the vocabulary to understand the major fundamental concepts so we're doing that uh, we are setting out strategies for each of the units and each of the regions. And in the regions, there are countries. So a lot about it is like, what's the current status? What are the priorities or the most pressing needs? And then how do we work with all of our colleagues to accomplish that particular strategy when it comes to inclusion? How does it support the business uh, as well? Um, so those are the many things that my team is doing. Well, you know, it's interesting. I noticed that in your title, you have the word strategy there, which is very different than most DEI titles. And that's something you would insisted on before you joined. Isn't that right? Yeah, I did. Because I wanted people to think this is not a fly by night. This is not events. This is how are we going to think about this holistically, comprehensively. And it's everything in the life cycle for the employees, right? It's How do we do outreach? How do we do hiring? How do we, even like we have started now in our company where we obviously need to train people who are responsible for recruitment about how to talk in an interview, how to think about these things. We're getting our leaders to say, hey, as I look at my team, who's missing? What do I need to be thinking about when it comes to representation? But it's also onboarding and it's also development and opportunity giving and it's feedback. It's all of those life cycle pieces. It's promotion and how do you integrate an inclusion lens is what we're calling it um, into each of those operations. 
I think a lot of us experience Netflix, obviously, through the product, not necessarily through what's happening behind the scenes. And we know so much of inclusion strategy is about who you hire and about making sure that you have these pipelines in place to make sure people feel comfortable when they are there and that they can see succeed and there are more people like them. But Netflix yeah. is also taking the inclusion idea and making sure that it's in all of the programming. Hollywood for so long has been resistant to this. Even Bob Iger in his book mentions that he got incredible pushback in launching Black Panther. No one wants to see a black superhero, he was told. So the product itself is a harder thing to uh, influence. And I, I'd love to understand how you and your team have helped Netflix understand this has to be part of the, the actual product and not just the, the company. Yeah, well, so it's all interrelated. You know how you have a product that you love and then you find out <laughs> that working there for most people are horrible, right? It just doesn't work. You're like, these things have to be aligned. I mean, our big bet is that we start inside first and the inside definitely shapes what we produce externally. And it's not just the content, um, Dan. We also think about the service. Is it accessible? To whom, right? There are lots of things that the company has to think about through that lens of inclusion. So what we are doing is, for example, we work with our content folks. We, we have, for example, an inclusion institute, right? Where we have a number of subjects that our creators can learn about and be thoughtful about. Uh, for example, colorism, we've done um, lots of uh, conversations about that. So again, it's just that attuning of the lens when you're green lighting, what are you thinking about? Actually, someone on our team did an incredible job. We were um, doing this work on the Babysitter's Club, which I don't know if you're familiar with. This exactly. is a very popular um, um, title. And they were introducing a trans character. And the person who was in charge of that project was like, I need to talk to someone to understand how to best do this in an authentic, non-offensive and sort of opening um, way so that people can see these things. So they go to our team, they say, hey, this is what's happening. And then they, we also have a list of experts that we consult, right? So this is all about the rigor of asking yourself questions about casting, about titles, about how deep we're going, about what language we're using. And I think if you want a future in media, this is what you have to do because people, more and more, once people start seeing themselves on TV, they don't, they can't get enough of it, right? So, you know, more and more people want to see themselves represented. They want to see themselves in front of the camera and behind the camera. That is our work too, to influence everyone who's making that decision to be thinking about how to be both representative and inclusive. You're talking about not just changing Netflix, you're talking about changing uh, culture. If Netflix succeeds in this, no company will be able to get away with the old rules of thumb about who they put in front of camera, what works and what doesn't. Yes. I mean, we are in the position because we have so much content to really influence things. But let's just be clear, like we can't get this done by ourselves. We need all of the media 
and entertainment companies to be thinking about this. Hey, we need the banks to be thinking about this, which is why we actually did, we were sort of the first to do the 2% in black banks, right? Because we understand that this stuff is all structural and that all contributes, right? We need to think about it in tech. We need to think about it in the law. We need to, you know, and so all of these aspects, we have a lot of partners that help us externally what are they doing? Like we've got marketing. Are the marketing agencies thinking about this? Because if they're not, they're not going to represent us well enough. So there, it's an ecosystem. We are part of it. We can't make everything happen. We need really the whole community and all the industries too. Fascinating. It's a lot of muscle flexing. Really interesting to see. How do you deal with the individual who doesn't buy in the DEI? Yeah. You hope that they are the minority, right? Because I really do, when I sort of the work that I see is that you have the people who are, get it, they're very gung-ho, but they don't exactly know what to do. And then you've got the middle group and that middle group is like, they're not opposed. It just doesn't seem like it's part of what they should be thinking about. They're like, I'm an expert in this and I just want to think about this and I don't understand how DNI impacts this. And then you've got the group that's like, this is bad, right? But that group is getting smaller and smaller. I don't use my energy there. I use my energy for those other two thirds of the folks um, because ultimately when you are doing change in an organization, it's not necessary that everyone agrees. It's necessary that the right people who have influence can agree. And it, apparently in the studies, it doesn't take as many people as we think to shift a culture. I know it can sometimes seem like really difficult, but I really want to encourage the person who asked that question to not concentrate there. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. Hi, I'm Tober Korn, LinkedIn's Chief Product Officer. On my podcast, Building One, we dive deep into what it takes to build great products. Recently, we had Zach Perret, the CEO of Plaid and he shared about his struggles building a financial app for consumers and how he was able to turn it all around with a critical pivot. Take a listen. I personally couldn't resonate as much with the consumer set that we were trying to reach. I just didn't have that level of empathy. When we made the shift to building a B2B product though, I was building the product that I wanted. My co-founder and I were creating the product that we wanted ourselves and we had so much empathy for what that product was. Such a great insight. You know, in that sense, we got lucky because we were, we were creating a thing for ourselves. And then the people that we were talking to also had the same problems we did. They were fintech developers. We'd been a fintech developer. Uh, we'd been trying to build a fintech product for a year. And so, we had such deep empathy. We had such a clear ability to... If you want to hear more of Zach Perret's story and the lessons that follow, listen and subscribe to my podcast, Building One. Netflix culture, very famously, is a hard-driving culture. It is designed to be like a sports team, a professional sports team, where you come in, you perform your best, and if you get cut, you get cut, you understand you got paid a lot to do what you did, and you move on, and, 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 and the company keeps moving, versus acting like a family. 
Yeah. I heard a, a great interview you did with uh, Brene Brown, where you talked about this idea of courage and what it's like to have courage, but also how hard is it, to have, it is to have courage when you feel like you have to be perfect. And the role that people feel, if you come from underrepresented backgrounds, if you are one of the few black people in an office or one of the few women in a group, the idea of talking up or being courageous or trying new things is often much more difficult. You feel like you have to be perfect. So can you explain how you can reach these diversity numbers, these underrepresented groups having such success inside Netflix, while at the same time having this culture that really focuses on the idea of being amazing all the time or being cut? Yeah. So first of all, I love that conversation with Brene. It was wonderful. So there are a couple of things here I just want to point out, which is we see excellence and inclusion as together, right? It's unlikely you can be as excellent (laughs) as you want to be without inclusion because and without diversity, because diversity and inclusion really interrupts uh, groupthink and it creates more and more innovation. And we're all about innovation. So it's an easy case for us to understand why D&I is important for our company for what we do. Like we're trying to entertain the world. We we need not try to do that with, you know, a group of people who are not diverse. So that's the first thing. The second thing is we have several values. They're all sort of related. So yes, we are high performance culture, but we have the value of judgment. We have the value of integrity. We have the value of courage and we have the value of inclusion, right? So inclusion asks us that as we perform excellently with our colleagues to be thoughtful about creating the best possible environment for that excellence to thrive. Some people have a hard time equating excellence with diversity. And sadly, that is already a sign of often unconscious bias, that you can't put those two concepts together, that somehow we either we're gonna be excellent or we're going to be diverse, right? You know, either we're going to be like profitable or we're going to spend money on those people, right? So (laughs) you really have to ask yourself, what's your mental model and like where are your biases preventing you from seeing those things as integral to one another? If you have people who are coming in who are first, who are coming through your engineering work with historical black uh, colleges, who might not have been surrounded necessarily by professionals who, who, who've pulled them into the, into these jobs. Yeah. How do you make sure that you are coaching people to understand that they can be courageous, that they, that it's okay. You don't have to be perfect and you can live all of these uh, various parts of the Netflix culture. Yes. So can I say, and thank you for reminding me to answer that whole full question, because one of the things about Netflix, good or bad, is that everybody kind of feels like, am I good enough? Right. And so you get here, but what Netflix is saying is, we believe in you. That's why we selected you. Only really good people are here. Therefore, unlikely that you wouldn't be in that group. Now, having said that, that doesn't take away from people's apprehension. They're worried that they might be perceived through a negative stereotype. Um, they're concerned that their speaking up might be evaluated or interpreted differently. This is happening across regions as well. So we're trying to pay attention to that. We call this kind of bias proofing. Like we work, there's a lot of rigor around the culture. 
which is really good. So you've got lots of coaches, you've got people from talent, we call talent HR, and they're um, people who you can go to, ask questions of, including our team. And then we're also kind of paying attention to whether people are getting a differential, um, having differential impact for the wrong reasons. So it's work, it's paying attention. And I'm sure there are people who feel that extra burden, but quite frankly, Dan, for me, the courage is coming from the majority folks. I want to see majority folks show more courage. Hmm. You know, people are like, oh, I feel a little uncomfortable, so I don't have that conversation. You know, 2020, we needed to have a bunch of conversations. So we're telling our leaders, get courageous, start practicing having these conversations and you'll get better and better at it. But it's unlikely, again, that we can see cultural change if we're not willing to ask people to stand up, to interrupt when they see bias, even when it's in their friend or their colleague. Those are the kinds of things about courage that I'm looking for. I'm looking for some mutual adaptation where the people who are underrepresented aren't doing all of the work. In fact, the reason why we haven't made enough progress is because the majority normalized group hasn't done enough work. They haven't had to, and now we're asking them to do more. An important message, you can talk a lot about that in your TED Talk. If anyone hasn't seen that, I would highly encourage people to watch that. Would love to talk to you about your career. You started as a lawyer before moving into the diversity realm. Would you talk about how you have guided your career? Yeah, you know, I went... I went to law school to change the world. And then I got there and I was like, hmm, I'm not sure this is the way. But by that time, I had spent quite an investment in my career. So I did practice uh, corporate law, real estate law. I worked for a majority um, white law firm and then a minority owned law firm. Very different experiences and useful in many ways. But what I started to recognize, because I started my career in Boston, and there were like very few, I was the first black person in, and the only one in my law firm. And while for young people, it may seem like 1985, <laughs> eons ago, I was not expecting to be breaking the color line in 1985. So Something about that experience helped me to recognize the paucity of attorneys of color. I then became the executive director of a legal consortium that was trying to solve for this problem in Boston. And what I started to realize is the difference or the relationship between representation, that is diversity, how many bodies you have, and inclusion, the environment in which you are inviting those people to come in, and whether it's right to thrive. So um, I then started doing some work in the Attorney General's office in Massachusetts around this, and ultimately went out on my own. And so I think what I did was to take my personal lived experience, but also what I saw within organization that's worth often thwarting some of their best intentions and really try to figure out what is the strategy for breaking down the status quo. Dan, I don't know if you know, but the status quo is probably the most resilient force I have ever been acquainted with. And so it's a lot of, it's a long-term game. It's a cultural game. And it's a lot about getting enough people paying attention to this. And, and that's really where my career has gone because I 
deeply believe in fairness and equity, which is a new con- newish concept that people are speaking about, this idea of equity. And that really is an admission that the, play- the playing field isn't level. So what would we need to do? Not extra, not special, but what would we need to do just to get people on the same level to compete? Uh, a lot of questions coming in about measuring success of DEI efforts. What do you say to that? Yeah, so absolutely necessary. Lots of ways to do it. And it's not just about what I would call a snapshot. So a lot of companies show a snapshot. We show a snapshot on our on our website. Here's what this looks like. We are trying to also say, here's what it looks like in this particular category. Here's what it looks like around these groups. Uh, most of our, our women numbers are global and our people of color numbers is U.S.-based. Having said that, when we talked about the entire employee cycle, uh, I want to see um, us do more on measuring uh, promotions, compensation, opportunity. Some people who do inclusion, are they even measure how many lines <laughs> do people get from their bosses, like in their emails? How many, how frequently do they get emails? Because trying to figure out inclusion, a qualitative experience is really not easy. So the quantitative, a little easy, although I think we often miss it because we're only looking at the snapshot. And then the qualitative is even more difficult, but we're working on it. Do you think the lines of email is a good metric to look at? It can absolutely be just ask just a leader. You could do it yourself. You could say, who do I send emails to? How long are those emails? And what patterns, if any, am I noticing? Um, If I think about who I've hired, if I think about who I've promoted, if I think about what I get excited about on a resume, what can I discover about my preferences? And here's the thing, preferences, you know, they make perfect sense, but they're too narrow most of the time. So they they actually act to replicate the folks who are already in. And it doesn't really accelerate or advance the work of inclusion and representation. One of the things you call out in the inclusion report is the need this year to really focus on inclusion outside the U.S. How do you think about underrepresented groups in non-U.S. markets? How's that going? What are you discovering? Any, any early yeah. advice? We're working on it for sure. I mean, of course, different countries have different laws and rules about what information can be collected. And some companies, when we first went to do this research about what, we realized that in some countries, they have a history where identifying what groups people were in were used against those groups. So it's, it's like a very different thing than the approach that we've taken in the United States. Having said that, we're still trying to figure, and also how people identify and what would be the underrepresented group in that country. That's the work that we are presently doing and still doing. Um, we are changing some of our tools and some of our things that you can, how you can describe yourself. Like we now have changed what you can say about your gender and your gender identity, including transgender experience. And that's unusual in a company. And we're also, we've got more categories on sexual um, orientation. So we're trying to build out tools 
that have never really thought about a lot of these categories. After so many years of this difficult work, how do you avoid burnout? This is an extremely good question after 2020. (laughs) Oh my goodness. All I can say is this is a lot, but I think about my ancestors. I'm walking easy when I think about that. I have great colleagues. I lean on them. I do a lot of praying and meditation. I try to keep my exercise up. You know, I do a lot of health, self-care. And then also, I think, have a group of people who you really trust, um, who are also bringing a certain kind of enthusiasm and energy and passion. And so one day you might be down and they're up, but they pull you up. And so you really do have to think about how to keep yourself going in this job because it can be a lot. That was Brene Myers, VP of Inclusion Strategy for Netflix. Brene left us with a lot of really powerful thoughts and a lot that we could put into practice right now. One that really resonated with me was the idea that inclusion means creating the best possible environment for excellence to thrive. Another is that she wants to see majority folks show more courage. I would love to know what resonated with you. What intentional steps are you doing in your own company to make sure that you're fostering a more inclusive, more excellent environment? Let me know over on LinkedIn. You can write a post about it or comment on the newsletter, and just be sure to use the hashtag, this is working. I can't wait to see what you have to say. Also, do you know someone who needs to hear this conversation with Vernay about meaningful inclusion? If you do, I have one request, please share it with them. You can get a link on your favorite podcast platform or share the newsletter you'll find on my profile. Thank you. As always, to get more news and insights, you can follow our main LinkedIn page, which you can find by searching for LinkedIn News. This is Working as a Production of LinkedIn. The podcast was produced by Sarah Storm with help from Dave Pond and Michaela Greer. Joe DeGiorgi mixed our show. Florencia Iriando is head of original video and audio. Dave Pond is our technical director. I'm Dan Roth, LinkedIn's editor-in-chief. Stay strong. See you soon.